Welcome to Radical Simple Living Podcast. It's episode 26. And um, if you're a regular listener, it's good to have you back. If you're a new listener, hi. And um, do go back and listen to some of the earlier podcasts I've done about almost every aspect of simple living. Now, some of the aspects of simple living I talk about are very practical. Things like uh, uh, to do with cooking and to do with your home and to do with uh, your approach to technology. And some of them are very philosophical about how we approach the world from the point of view of a simple liver, if I can use that term. It doesn't sound very good, does it? But today's episode is about something very important to all of us. It is about simple health. Now, uh, we choose lots of things in life, don't we? Um, we choose all kinds of things. We, 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 other things we don't choose. We, we don't choose, for instance, a country that we were born in. Now, that has an enormous effect on our lives forever after, usually. Not always, but usually. We can't decide the country we were born in. Um, Our parents decided for us, or more often than not, our parents just happened to find themselves in the country where where birth happened. So we can't have any influence on that at all. It's in the past. Therefore, we can't have any influence over our nationality. We can change nationality. We can become dual nationals, or maybe we were born on a military base, or maybe we were born in in an embassy somewhere, and our nationality isn't the same as the actual country we were born in. We can't decide our birth sex. We know lots of people are transgender, but their birth sex is something that for most people is very clearly defined. There's a small group of people that uh, it's a problem with, but for the majority of us, our birth sex is one of those things that is just decided back in history. Our race. We don't have any decision about The race that we are, our race, or whether we're polyracial, depends very much on our parents or our grandparents or something back in history. Our sexual orientation is something that is defined for us, and uh, we we have no say in that. There's a long list of other things. Our hair colour, our eye colour. We can attempt to change these things by dyeing our hair or wearing coloured contact lenses, but at the end of the day... Certain things are fixed and we can alter their appearance, but we can't alter our genes. We can't alter those things that define us, basically. Now, to some extent, health, which is today's topic, is like that. Some aspects of health we have no say over. If we were born, if you were unlucky enough to be born with a genetic disorder... And that could be something very, very serious indeed, like uh, cystic fibrosis, for instance. Or it could be something, you know, it could be something a lot less cataclysmic, like colourblindness. Now, I I come from, I'm not colourblind myself, but I come from a family with a few people with colourblindness. And I know that that is a major impairment to your life, but it's not a great problem. Being born left-handed. I was born left-handed, um, but I, <laughs> I was changed later on. That's an impediment because I live in a, a, a right-handed society and therefore that's a problem. So 
genetics or one of those things affects our health. And uh, we know that certain people have, have to live their lives with a genetic disorder. Things like Down syndrome, things like Huntington's chorea, which affects people, are major events in your life. That bit of genetic heritage is passed on to you has a major influence on your life. There are other less hidden things. You know, you hear sometimes about people who have heart attacks quite early on in life. And when they go to the hospital and that's investigated, they find that there's some congenital flaw with their heart, which nobody knew until that point, but they were born with it. So that too is a problem. There are also people that suffer major accidents. There are people that get involved in car crashes or there's people that are involved in industrial accidents or household accidents or accidents that involve their work. Uh, that have a life-changing effect on them. And, and that too can be devastating, and one is always amazed at how well some people bounce back from this and carry on with their lives and adapt and get on with it. And some people have terrible infectious diseases. Some of you there will have lost family members through COVID, but for everybody that's lost family members, there are other family members who are suffering from long COVID, who've had their health altered. And COVID isn't the only disease. Lots of people suffered from childhood diseases which have left them with permanent problems. If you read, as I do all the time, novels set in the 19th century, 19th century writers or people writing in the 20th century that could remember the 19th century, we know that blindness, deafness, uh, cripple, life-crippling diseases were caused by infections and sometimes death. Now, all of those things I've, I've spoken about, the genetic factors, the accidents, the serious infectious diseases are big health problems. They're sometimes cataclysmic problems that need daily management. And I'm not talking about those. Today, I'm talking about simple measures to make sure you live the healthiest life you can, given all those other factors that may be influencing your health, some of which you will know about and some of which you won't know about. So simple health is the topic of today's podcast. Okay, the first thing we have to say about your health is it belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anyone else. When you were very young, your parents were the main people that looked after your health, ensuring that you were looked after, making sure you got checkups, making sure that you ate properly. But when you grow up, you're the only person really looking after your health. I know there are health experts. I know there are health professionals. But the main person to look after your health is you. In fact, Albert Schweitzer, a man who I've never been particularly keen on, I think he was uh, uh, had some strange ideas, and I see him as, being British, of course, I see him as a major part of that imperialistic attitude to Africa, which did so much damage. But he said something that's quite important. He said, the doctor of the future will be oneself. And really, the future is now the present, if you like. You are the best doctor you have. You are the person that can do more to affect your health than anybody else. 
you are the person that can monitor your health better than anybody else and you are the person that knows what you're doing that is detrimental to your health better than anybody else. And you, of course, are an individual. I have no truck with these ideas that uh, one size fits all when it comes to health. You're an individual. We all know people who say, oh, you know, I, uh, I only sleep three hours a night and smoke 40 cigarettes a day and only eat a diet of... Uh, refined animal fat and I'm doing fine and we all know these people but they're not us are they they're somebody else you know well enough to be old enough to listen to this podcast that there are certain things that you may not be able to cope with that other people can sleep for instance you may be somebody who needs eight hours sleep a night you may turn into Godzilla if you don't get eight hours sleep a night Somebody, maybe your partner, if if you're well matched, only needs four hours of sleep a night. And if they get any more, you know, really have issues. So sleep is one of those things that it's important to get enough. It's important to get a good night's sleep. It's important to get rest. It's important to recharge your batteries and all those other euphemisms for a good night's sleep. But... um, You are the person to work out what is the right level of sleep for you. You are the kind of person that works out if an afternoon nap helps you or if an afternoon nap stops you getting a good night's sleep the night after. If you don't know these things, it's about time to start working them out. So when it comes to sleep, how much sleep you need is is important, but getting that sleep is very important for your health. We know that people that don't get enough sleep suffer all kinds of health problems. Some of them are short-term, but a lot of them, I'm afraid, are very long-term. Things like heart disease and dementia have both been linked to people getting not enough sleep. So one of those things that you need to do is to work out how much sleep you really need. And the second thing is to make sure you get it. And the best way you can do this that anyone has ever come up with is this idea of regularity. Now, going back to the 19th and even the 18th century, people put a big store on regular bedtimes, regular getting up times. But in the 20th and 21st century, people said, oh, well, you know, go to bed as late as you can, stay up and do this, stay up and do that. And then in the morning, lie in as long as you can. And if it's a weekend, you can stay up till three o'clock in the morning and then sleep until midday. We've all done this, particularly when we're in our teenage years. But as you get a little bit older, the benefits of a regular bedtime and a regular getting up time uh, are important. I do. I I try and be in bed by 10 o'clock every night and I try and be up by five o'clock every morning. And it doesn't matter if it's... Um, I, I try to be awake. I don't always get out of bed and jump out of bed. Sometimes I'll stay there for a bit. But I like to be awake by five o'clock in the morning. And I can't do much about it. I'm awake by five o'clock anyway. I do have problems with clocks changing and throwing this thing. But basically, that's what I do. Bed by 10, up by five. You may say, "Ah, oh, for me, I want bed by midnight and up by seven. Same thing. It doesn't matter what you choose as long as that works for you. Now, there will be some people here who are going red in the face and clenching their fists at this time because they're involved in some 
shift work or night work and this can be people that work in manufacturing industries but also people involved in agriculture and healthcare and electricity generation all kinds of things you may have to do shift work and that is a problem and if you find that that is having a major negative impact on your health either your mental health or your physical health maybe you need to change that some people can do it some people can't and if you're one of those people that can't do shift work forcing yourself to do it will affect your health in the long term so try to find a way around that if you can now just as we need differing amounts of sleep depending on who we are we also have this problem with food don't we and the problems we have with food is that some of us have different metabolic rates and some people have a very high metabolic rate and some people have a very low metabolic rate and what metabolic rate means is that the the energy you burn off just being you basically and some people burn off a lot of energy just existing and other people don't now this can change through life and it can change through disease if you have thyroid dysfunction it has a lot of ways to affect your metabolic rate if you're somebody that works out regularly that will have a very positive effect on your metabolic rate so there are things you can do to affect your metabolic rate but basically you need to know what it is i admit i'm incredibly fortunate here my weight fluctuation over my lifetime has been negligible i basically have i told you before items of clothing that i've had for 20 or 30 years and they still fit me i don't change in i don't change in size at all um my waist might go up by uh or an inch over the winter and come down an inch over the summer but that's an annual cycle it doesn't stay on and it doesn't stay lost for that reason um so get to know what your metabolic rate is get to know if you are the kind of person that puts on weights without really trying um, you're going to have to be much more careful about what you eat than somebody like me who can eat vast amounts and it doesn't really seem to affect my weight at all i do give off lots of heat i'm like a three bar electric fire i'm i, I give off heat to the surroundings i go into a room and people turn off the heating um, <laughs> that's where my energy goes i don't know um get to know your metabolic rate get to know what you're right with get to know the right amount of food for you and when we come to food this is a problem because some of us every day are eating things that we know are not good for us we know this because there is a vast body of evidence that eating certain foods is bad and eating other foods is good now i understand that there's contradictory evidence out there and some of you may find certain diets that you want to take part in i myself am vegan because i i've never eaten meat um except when i was a very young child and forced to and um I, I'm lactose intolerant, so it's not a problem for me. I, I don't eat meat, I don't eat dairy, I don't eat eggs. You will have had other life decisions about that, I'm sure, and I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying whatever you have is your is your point of view. Um, uh, I, I don't expect to be attacked for my dietary habits. 
and I'm not going to accept. I'm not going to attack you for yours. That's fair. But within any diet, there are certain things we know are bad. We know that too much salt is bad. We know this because there is incredible evidence that links salt to high blood pressure and to the risk of heart attacks. So anything you can do to reduce your salt intake is going to be a good idea. Sugar, we know too much sugar in your diet does lead to you putting on weight. It does lead to diabetes type 2. It does lead to tooth decay. Now, um, I know that's a problem because sugar is one of the most addictive substances there are. All the evidence shows that if people develop a taste for sugar, and most of us do that in childhood, that stays with us. And if we go through a day without anything sugary, we develop withdrawal symptoms just like if we were addicted to crack cocaine or um, nicotine or heroin. Sugar does exhibit these real addiction issues. And if you do have a sweet tooth, if you do eat sugar every day, you try going a day without sugar and see what it does to you. Um, the effects will be noticeable. And cutting down your sugar is hard, just like giving up smoking is hard. But if you can win yourself off sugar, and I don't think artificial sweeteners are the answer there because they keep you wanting that sweet taste, you will find you get less hungry. You know, if you ask, if you give some two people the same meal, and then one of those people you give something sugary at the end of it, they are hungry faster again. They, they want to eat something much earlier than the person that had the same meal but didn't eat something sweet after them. Again, this is a repeatable experiment which has been tried thousands of times and we know that what sugar does, it gives your blood sugar a big boost and following that boost there's a big dip and the big dip makes you hungry. So if you are wrestling with weight loss, before you think about calorie control and before you think about reducing fats and before you think about my advice to you is to cut back on the sugar. Cut back on the sugar, cut it back as far as you can. The human body doesn't need sugar at all. It needs fat. Bits of your body, like your nervous system, are made out of fat. You need fat to keep you warm. You need fat to develop healthy skin. All of those things. And fat is the solvent for many fat-soluble vitamins. Vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E can only be absorbed properly within fat. So you need fat in your diet. And by fat, I include oils and waxes and all those things. You need protein in your diet because without protein, your body won't be able to grow and it won't be able to repair itself. When it comes to carbohydrates, you can do without them altogether. The Inuit don't eat carbohydrate. The Inuit live on a diet of animal fat and animal protein. There are some disadvantages to cutting out all carbohydrates. You don't get enough fibre. So I eat carbohydrates, but I eat um, very complex carbohydrates. Wholemeal rice, wholemeal pasta, wholemeal bread, sourdough, whole grains, whole beans. Those are the kind of things I eat. And they're good and they're fine. So I'm not here to tell you what you should be eating and what you shouldn't be eating. But I'm telling you to look at the advice out there, come up with something that works for you, but make sure it's healthy. And whether plants are 100% of your diet or whether plants are a part of your diet, 
get those colours in. Get in the reds, which has got the lycopenes and the uh, carotenoids and the anthrocyan... I'm sorry, I'm a chemist. The anthrocyanins. Get all of those into your diet. Get a colourful plates in front of you because that way you can be sure you're getting all those good things that plants are for you. So eating for health, cut back on the salt, cut back on the sugar, but try to eat well whatever you eat. Now... The big problem that people have with their health, I think, is when things go wrong, because things do go wrong. You will find yourself suffering from aches and pains in your body as you get older. It is going to happen to you, however careful you are, however healthy you are, you will get those aches and pains. And the problem is, the easy thing to do if you get an ache and pain is to take drugs for it. Now, I know quite a bit about drugs because my career started as a pharmaceutical chemist, pharmaceutical chemistry, my first degree, and I've seen it all. Uh, I really have. So I, I can tell you as somebody with some inside information on this, that if you can avoid taking over-the-counter painkillers, you are doing yourself a favour. If you develop backache, and can work out for yourself or get some advice on exercises or heat treatments or things you can rub onto your aches and pains and if you can avoid as long as possible that trip into um, analgesics you're doing yourself a lot of good because let me tell you what happens to people they develop backache and they've got things to do and they want to get around quickly and maybe the backache will go away after a, a few days or a week but they wanted to go in a hurry. And so what they will do is they will take one of these drugs called a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent. Ibuprofen is the most common one of these, but there are others. And they will take it and the pain will go away and they'll feel better. And when they stop taking it, the pain may come back a little bit. So the inducement is to carry on taking it. And if they carry on taking it, they're doing several things to their body because drugs are powerful things and they have, as well as good effects, they have bad effects. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents do affect your heart. Even if you're taking them for a short period of time, there's a measurable difference to your heart function. And people that take them all the time over a long period of time need to have their heart monitored. If your doctor has prescribed these for them because you've got a bigger issue, then you need to monitor that person's heart. Um, the damage they do isn't something that goes away when you stop taking them, I'm afraid. So be very cautious about it. They affect your stomach lining. Now, we'll come back to this in a second because that's one of the biggest issues people have. They find themselves, after they've been taking these for a day or two, or maybe a bit longer, that they're getting... Um, indigestion they're getting gastric reflux and that's a problem that's not good for you and it can keep you awake at night and lose you some of that valuable sleep more so than the backache can sometimes and the third thing they do which is perhaps little recognized is they destroy your your gut bacteria your good gut bacteria now the, the more people study gut bacteria the more important they seem to be in affecting all kinds of aspects of our physical health and our mental health. 
And when you take ibuprofen, you're virtually wiping out all the gut bacteria you've built up in your gut and you've got to start again. And then if you take some more the next week, you do the same thing again. So you're continuously destroying and having to re come up with some gut bacteria. Um, so what you need to do is to avoid these painkillers where you can. And if you do have to take them, take them for a shorter period as possible. When it comes to the gastric reflux, I'm afraid what a lot of people do is they take something for that too. So they're already taking the ibuprofen because they've got bad gastric reflux, but then they start taking uh, proton pump inhibitors or, or calcium blockers to stop the indigestion taking place. Now, these drugs are really not very good at all because although they stop acid in your stomach, they also stop acid being formed in almost every other cell in your body. And that causes more problems than you started off with. And worse still, your stomach gets used to producing a, you know, a, a, a changes in the way it produces those acid. So when you stop taking the tablets, the acid comes gushing into your digestive system and you think, oh heavens, I can't stop taking these, I've got to carry on. And before you know it, you're having to take the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories every day and you're starting to take the gastric reflux things every day. And then you go back to your doctor and say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not getting on so well with the, uh, uh, the anti-inflammatories. Is there anything else you can do? And your doctor will say, oh, well, maybe we could put you on steroids to help with this. And then the real trouble starts because, again, there are people that suffer from really serious medical conditions that do need steroids. And I'm not talking about those people here, but people that take them to solve a bit of a problem with their body that is temporary run the risk. You run risks of suppressing your own uh, corticosteroidal system and if you interfere with that that has big consequences for your body because when you come off the steroids your body is no longer producing its own natural steroids there are mental health issues with coming off of steroids that lead people into terrible bouts of depression now your doctor may not tell you this is going to happen when you come off steroids but it, it can happen and does happen worse still we know that people that take steroids all the time develop other things. They develop cataracts in their eyes. They develop um, high blood pressure. They develop type 2 diabetes. They develop long-term mental health problems to do with depression and anxiety. So all of this has come because somebody started taking powerful drugs for backache that they could maybe have found an exercise and an essential oil rub way of solving in the first place. So before you take the trip down the way of the powerful big farm um, med uh, medications, think carefully. Think very carefully. If you go to your doctor and your doctor prescribes you medications, ask these questions first of all. Is there any way that I can treat what I've got without going down the road of these powerful meds. 
and get a good answer from your doctor about that and listen to those answers and if there's something else you can try, try that first of all. Next thing you say to your doctor, is this the lowest dose that I can start off with? You know, you said 500 milligrams three times a day. Could I start on 500 milligrams twice a day or could I start on 250 milligrams three times a day? Again, your doctor may give you an answer to that and they might say, OK, we'll give that a try. Worth trying. Worth trying. Third question to ask your practitioner is how long do I need to be on these? And do I need to taper off at the end? If I just stop taking these, if I find they disagree with me, can I just stop taking them right away? Or should I taper them off over a period of time? And again, demand a good answer from your doctor on that one. And the last question you need to ask them is, tell me really what are the side effects of this drug that I'm taking? And what are the chances of me developing those side effects? Because some side effects affect less than one person in 10,000. And other side effects affect one person in 10. So you need to know what they are. The real thing you would be wonderful if you could come away from your doctor is, I went to my doctor with this issue and the doctor said to me, if I make these lifestyle changes, if I take more exercise, if I stop drinking so much, if I stop smoking so much, if I stop using um, recreational drugs, if I try and lose a bit of weight, it will get better or it will get a percentage better. And those things are really important. So the real message about looking after your health, there's healthy eating, there's if you smoke, stop, if you use recreational drugs, stop, if you have issues with lack of exercise, stop, if you're addicted to sugar, try and treat that addiction. These are all basic things you can do, but when things do go wrong, see what measures you can take to get out of them without going down the line of medical treatment. Now, everything I've said can be discounted if you have got a serious medical disorder that you need medical help for. If you've got type 1 diabetes, if you've got cystic fibrosis, if you've got multiple sclerosis, if you've got schizophrenia, if you've got this and a thousand other things, you need to listen to your doctor and get the medical help you need. If you've got a sprained wrist, if you get headaches occasionally, if you get indigestion, if you get a pain in your knee, if you get a rash on your hand, try and solve the problem yourself simply first before you go down the route of interventionist medical care. Now, there's lots more about simple healthcare, healthcare that you can do yourself. And um, I'm going to do a second podcast, a follow-up one to this in a few days' time to talk about some of these other issues that can help you manage your health simply. Thank you for listening for me today. And remember, I always need your help in getting the message out about these podcasts. So if you see tweets or, um, or toots or posts about this podcast, uh, do repost them if you feel you can, or if you can't, create your own post and give me a link in it. 
Spreading the word is helpful. I want to carry on doing these podcasts as long as I can, but in order to do that, I need to keep my listenership growing, which it is, I'm pleased to say, and thank you for those of you that have helped this way. Even if it means putting a little bit of a word in somebody's ear, they, oh, you might like to listen to this. I'm so grateful for that kind of publicity. So thank you very much, and thank you for joining me. My cats have been really good today, haven't they? Yeah, I thought so too. I'll give them all a special pat on the head afterwards. And I look forward to welcoming you here to my kitchen next time. Thank you.